Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? Good morning, church. Um, yeah, so, Revelation. I think the book of Revelation gets a bad rap. A lot of good Christian folks avoid the book because it's full of scary imagery or, or because it's weird and kind of hard to interpret. And I understand that feeling. But if you skip Revelation, you miss out on some of the most moving and meaningful scenes in all of Scripture. And I think that I would file the chapter that we read today in that category. We, we read this picture of God's redeemed people, victorious, in heartfelt worship, as they are sheltered and nourished by God himself. See, God didn't give John the vision we have recorded in Revelation to scare him, or, or to scare us, for that matter. Because the world that he lived in was scary enough. Of all 12 apostles... As far as we can tell, John is the only one who lived to old age. All the rest of the apostles were killed because they preached Christ. And, you know, I know sometimes we may feel like Christians are facing persecution here in America. And, you know, in some ways we are. But it's nothing at all in comparison to what John and his contemporaries were facing imprisonment and often brutal and torturous death. I think Revelation seems scary to us because we aren't facing that kind of persecution. So John's vision wasn't to say, brace yourself, it's going to get bad. God gave John this vision to bring him hope, in comfort to people who live through very dangerous and very scary times. It's meant to give a glimpse of the joy and the victory that are ahead. Now, are the days getting darker? Maybe, probably, right? But that's no cause to panic. After all, Jesus told us that that would happen. If anything, maybe we ought to be encouraged knowing that the, the finish line isn't so far away anymore. So when I read about this um, countless multitude of every tribe and race, I, I get kind of pumped up, you know? Because, friends, that's us. When we read that, you're in that crowd. This is a picture, this picture is a promise for us. And not just us, you know? And this is the first thing that grabs my attention when I read this passage. There's, because there's so much 
disunity in the world. And even in the church, you think about people are, are separated by geography, politics. People are separated by languages and philosophies. I mean, if I'm honest, and that's my job, it's hard to get unanimity in this Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod that we're a part of. And that's not a very big slice of mankind, you know? And yet, the vision John has towards all of God's people of all time from every corner of the globe all together, praising God together in one heart and one voice. Imagine yourself in that crowd for a moment. And as I, uh, as I look around the room, there's a fair amount of homogeny. Right? That's not what it's like. Picture yourself in the crowd that day. To your, to your right is a Chinese Christian who worshipped secretly in someone's house with the lights off, cradling a Bible in his lap and reading by faint candlelight. To your left is an Afghani Christian who came to faith only a few months before she was martyred. She's standing next to a Kenyan missionary who was sent from Kenya to France to try and get the faith going again. Somewhere in that crowd, there's your great-great-great-grandmother. And you never met her, you know. Maybe you heard stories about her. But she passed that faith on to her kids who passed it on to their kids, who passed it on until it found its way down to you. There's Noah over there and Abraham, Moses and Rahab, Esther, Peter, Lydia, on and on and on, stretching from Horizon to horizon. Looking around this crowd, it's hard to imagine that, that a crowd this huge and this diverse could ever have anything in common. But we do. One thing, really. It's the Lamb on the throne, Jesus Christ. That's what unites us. In fact, he's the only thing in all the world that could unite a group like this. Now, a lot of folks have wrong ideas about how you get to be in the crowd. Some folks think, you know, to be a saint, you got to you know, avoid sin. You know, just shut out the world and me and Jesus will be okay. But Jesus didn't call you to hide out, you know. He didn't redeem you and 
and stick you under a rock. He called you to seek out lost sheep. He chose you to be a light in the darkness. He gave you what he gave you so that you could take some risks with it. Share that faith. He isn't looking for perfect people, you know, because if he was, well, he wouldn't find any. Other folks think maybe to get in this crowd, you just got to balance out those bad deeds with the good ones. This is the mostly good philosophy, you know. Sure, I, I know I'm not perfect, but try to live a good life and do good where I can. And, you know, you definitely should try to live a good life every day. But the truth is none of us are as good as we think. And the mostly good folks are never going to be sure if they're good enough. If getting to heaven was about doing good or avoiding bad, then all that responsibility, it's on me. But in our reading today, People aren't saying, salvation belongs to me and my efforts, right? Like, nobody says that at the throne of God. They're shouting, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. In other words, we have no claim on it. We didn't earn it. Even the best of us, the ones who lived a saintly life or who died a martyr's death, None of us deserve to be in this crowd. We all arrived in dirty robes. But salvation belongs to Jesus. He gave it freely to me. He took my dirty robes and he washed them clean in his own blood. That, by the way, is a... a, worth a bit of notice. You know, the picture here isn't that you get to heaven and you get a new robe. It's your robe, but it's been washed clean. That's a picture of redemption. All of us carry our own baggage. Right? We all have our own regrets. There are parts of life we wish we could do over, do better. And sometimes when we look at eternal life, it's so huge that this life may seem insignificant by comparison. But that's not how the Bible talks about it. This life is monumentally important. God is very invested in what's going on right now. He's using you in ways you don't even realize to bring hope and the life-giving gospel to the folks around you and the generations not yet even born. People who will one day give thanks to God for you and your testimony. That said, the Bible does say that suffering and the struggle that we endure now will seem tiny in comparison to the joy ahead of us. 
There's no do-overs, you know, but the Bible does say that our mistakes and our regrets will be erased forever. You matter to God. Your life matters to God. And the life that you live right now is going to continue on forever. But being redeemed by Christ means that he washes away the dirt and the stains, the heartache and the guilt. He removes every trace of your sin with his very blood. And what's left is radiant, fit for eternity. Now, I I hope that this vision is giving you hope. I hope that it's going to embolden you to share the gospel with folks, even if doing so brings ridicule, trouble to you. Because in comparison to the joys ahead, those are so incredibly small. But there's another takeaway that I hope the scripture brings home for you. That crowd of saints that, that we're picturing ourselves in today, that crowd of saints before the throne of God is so large and so diverse that anyone you meet would fit right in. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what baggage they're carrying. What matters is that Jesus died for them. They need the same hope, and they need the same love. They need the same gospel message that you received. Who's going to bring it to them? There's room enough for everyone in that great multitude before the Lamb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks that you wash us clean. That you, as you look across the the incredible diversity that is humankind. There's not a person out there that you don't love. There is not a a place where your gospel doesn't belong. There's not a... There's no one too rich that they don't need what you have. There's no one too poor that you can't supply. There's no one too far because you're right there with them. We give you thanks, Lord, that for thousands of years, literally thousands of years, one person has given that gospel to the next, and that person passed it on to the next. And there is an unbroken chain that leads straight from the cross of Calvary all the way down to Liberty Hill, Texas in 2021, I can't even imagine it, God. How many people you've involved in the work of getting the gospel into this house today? And every one of them was loved and redeemed by you, and every every one of them was part of your plan to redeem the folks who are here today. And your vision's bigger than that. Because, Lord, we've got a 
We've got a community around us, and there's a lot of them who aren't here today. There's a lot of them who are tucked in their beds, or they just haven't given it much thought. And there's a lot of hurt out there. We pray, Lord, that you'll include us as one more link in the chain of gospel. As we've received it freely, so we pass it along freely. We love you, Lord, and we, we thank you for the hope and the promise we have in Jesus Christ and for this little glimpse of heaven that you gave to us today through the revelation of John. Fix our eyes on the goal. Help us to press on in your name. Amen. Why don't you rise and receive a blessing? <laughs>